It's good to be with you this morning. It really is. Uh, we're in this four-week series called Jump In. This is week three. Jump in. What are we jumping into? We're jumping into this river of God where the Spirit is at work. But let me tell you the two questions we're trying to answer in these four weeks. Question one, um, how do you, as a follower of Jesus, sitting in the seats... How do you get on board with our mission? Now, we have a mission. We have a slide on our mission. I think you would be able to tell uh, your friends and neighbors, this is our mission, helping next generations encounter and follow Jesus to bless a broken world. First question is, how do you, as someone in the seats who's a follower of Christ, get on board with that? Second question is, how do you better build a deeper friendship with God? Those are the two questions we're trying to answer in this four-week series called Jump In. And we're saying, hey, jump in to these essential practices that God has always been about in people's lives. Jump in. And so one of the things we want to say to you is it's kind of a here to there. So we have a slide here to there. You know where you are right now. You know where you are with the mission of our church and how uh, about our mission you are. You know where you are in your friendship with God. And many of you have a place you'd rather be, there. I'm here, but I'd like to be there. I'm here, but I'd like to be there. And so that's what this series is about. This idea of the series is there's this river, this Holy Spirit river, that when we put certain practices into our lives, it's like jumping into this river. And we've been saying um, that uh, this comes from Acts chapter 2, specifically verses 42 to 47. I'll read some of that in a minute. The, but what we're lifting out is four essential practices that a follower of Jesus jumps into the river, jumps into. Now, these are not the biblical words. These are our words that we're using as a church, our language. And Jeff taught uh, two weeks ago, the first thing you have to do is invest in others. If you think you can have a tight friendship with God all by yourself, just praying and studying, you can't. A part of a tight friendship with God is you invest in others. And a lot of you are doing that. You invest in others. Then Alice was here uh, last week, and she talked about the other thing you got to do. You can't know God without his book. I mean, most of what we know about God is in the book. And um, we, you need to be engaged in the Bible. And today, my job is to talk about worshiping God. You can't be a follower of Christ. You can't be deeper in friendship without some worship of God. And then Doug's going to come next week and talk about belonging community. Uh, so I'm going to start just, that, that's the perspective we're bringing. Now I want to talk about worshiping God. My son Ben, 30 years ago, read a book and went to a conference. It was called The Heart of Worship. And it was at Willow Creek Community Church. He came back and he goes, Dad, what do you think worship is? I said, well, I think you sing some songs and stuff. He goes, no, Dad. Worship is this. We have a slide. Worship is our response to God for who he is and what he's done. Worship... It's so simple. It's our response to God for who he is and what he's done. And whenever, anytime you're responding appropriately to God for who he is and what he's done, you're worshiping. Okay, think about this. When I love my wife out of reverence for Christ, I'm worshiping. Ephesians 5.20 says, submit to one another out of why? Reverence for Christ. Not because my wife deserves to be loved. She does. She's here. You do, dear. <laughs> but... I need to worship her, not because when does she need, when does she, I don't need to worship her, I need to love her. And when does she need love the most? When she's the most unlovable. And where do I find the power for that? In God. So, um, uh, so when I'm loving my wife, I'm worshiping God. And when I take cookies to a neighbor 
or patiently encourage a friend along the sidelines of an athletic event. Or um, when, uh, and I'm doing it because Christ first loved me and now I'm passing that love on. I'm worshiping. When I send a card or rake leaves or listen to a heartbroken friend, it can be worship. When I go to the office and give a full day's work for a full day's wage, I can do it out of reverence for Christ and that can be worship of God. You got that? So worship is like big. It happens seven days a week. It's everywhere. Last week I was at the bank. I'm uh, transferring Ben's assets. Most of you know Ben died, and I'm the executor of his will, so I'm at the bank, and I've got to get all these signature guarantee notes, things where people stamp on these things. So I go into the VP of the bank, and she's like, she hears who I am, and she actually gets out of her desk, goes over, closes the door, and she says, Dave, I've been hoping to talk to you someday. She said, 10 years ago, I had a three-year-old daughter who died. She died of cancer. For 10 years, we were active in a church, for 10 years, my husband hasn't darkened the door of that church since our daughter died. She said it was hard for me for five years to even go. We talked, we prayed there in the bank office. That was worshiping God. She was worshiping God as she took her mask off. I was worshiping God as I walked with her. It's just so powerful. Um, Following my teaching this morning, Andrew, a college student sitting in the front row here, has written a spoken word on worship, and he's going to perform it, give it, lead us in it. And I love the lyrics he starts with. Go to work, you worship. Go to class, you worship. Go to practice, you worship. Feel the warmth of the sun, go to worship. When I, Andrew hasn't really heard this. When I uh, first read his spoken word, and I saw that his piece fit exactly what I believe about worship and what I was teaching, I said, I need Andrew. And so he came, and he'll come and do that in a couple minutes. The verse we're using for this is Romans 12.1. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies, your lives, your time, as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. What's your act of worship? Giving your life to God, loving others out of that life, engaging the Bible, belonging in community. Now, that's all well and good, but that's not my job to teach this morning. Uh, my job to teach this morning is a narrower form of worship, and it's like what happens in this room on Sunday. And here's what we're actually saying in our map that we've uh, constructed as a church. Worshiping God is this. We do this by weekly participating in corporate worship, for two reasons, to praise God and to remember how to live for him. And what my job is, is to lift up what we're doing right now in this room. So worship is bigger than that. But the reason I have to lift it up is because the book of Acts and the Bible lifts it up. Look at Acts 2.44. All the believers were together and had everything in common. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and they ate together with glad and sincere hearts, enjoying the favor of all the people. Uh, you could not, uh, you might not just in that one verse catch on to how central gathering for worship was. So I went on to Acts chapter 3. And here's a story about Peter and John. One day Peter and John were going up to the temple at the time of prayer to worship. At 3 in the afternoon. Now a man crippled from birth was being carried to the temple gates. So then what did they do? They healed him. He said he was asking for some alms, some money. 
And instead they said, we don't have any money, but stand up and walk. And he, the verse goes on to say, he jumped to his feet and began to walk. Then he went with them into the temple gates, walking and jumping and praising God. They were going to worship. So this missional map we're talking about, getting from here to there, it involves regularly being here. Now, I don't want to sing to the choir. You're here, right? So I don't need to tell you how important this is, in a sense. But then in another sense, as I thought about who's in the room, I thought, yeah, no, I do need to talk to you because there are those of you in the room who don't come that often. You just happen to show up today. You're not regular, and you're going to be so glad you showed up today. You're not regular. You're like one of those once a month or once every six weeks when it works in my schedule kind of people. Bless you. We're glad you're here. But what I'm making an argument for today is that's not the way to worship. The way to worship is every week you're in town, you're here. So I want you to listen. Then there are those of you who come for the wrong reason. You come because you always came and your parents taught you to come and you come kind of out of a sense of obligation or duty. If you're sitting next to your mom, you can elbow her and say, yeah, mom, I'm here out of a sense of duty from you. And I want to challenge you to change why you come. We know this on Christmas Eve. We know this on Easter. There are whole rows of people here because grandma told them they had to come. Uh, we want you to come out of a sense of joy and expectation. And then the third group I want to talk to really are the young families. And I want to say this about being a young family and getting your kids to church. And I mean this as deeply as I mean anything. It is hard. And if you've got a baby in a car seat, it's going to get harder. <laughs> it's hard to bring a young family to church. You have to get up, feed them breakfast, get over the grumps. They cry all the way here, shake your head, yes. <laughs> and by the time you get here, you're not sure if there's any love left in the family. <laughs> And to you, I want to say, it's worth it and it's important. And there are very few things I know in all of life. Hear me on this. Very few things I know in all of life that you will ever do that will point your kids in the right direction, like being here together. Hear that. So don't be a once every six weeks when it's comfortable family, please. Now, let me build the case for this. Five reasons. I actually brought, for, brought five reasons. First reason is... There's God's presence in corporate worship in a unique way. Okay, so, like, yes, it's true. Uh, Hebrews 12 says that God will never leave me or forsake me. He'll always be with me. If I go for a walk in the woods this afternoon, which I hope to do, he's with me. If I get in a kayak and kayak on Big Woods Lake, he's with me. But then there's this other thing in Matthew 18 where it says, where two or three are together in my name, I will be there with them. And I think inferred is in a special way. When two or three gather, or two or three hundred, or two or three thousand gather, the Lord says, my spirit, I'll be here in a special way. And so we need to, we need to uh, know about that. Colossians 3.16, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom and as you sing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs with gratitude in your hearts to God. Alice closed last week's teaching. Only she read this verse from the message which said this, let the word of Christ, the message, have the run of the house Give it plenty of room in your lives. Instruct and direct one another using common sense. And sing, sing, sing your hearts out for God. So when you come to worship, here's the deal. You come and your neighbor comes and a coworker comes and your child comes. And one plus one plus one is more than three. It's more than three. 
because we're here together. And already what happened out in the lobby, I mean, I could tell like five stories of what happened out in the lobby. And it's so encouraging that people can come and be with other followers of Jesus. So um, there's a special presence of God when we come to worship. And we sing that song like the Holy Spirit comes, and we say, hey, invite the Holy Spirit here. It's powerful. Number two, there's power in the strong habit of regular attendance. Anything good and important in your life takes regular attention. You want to run a marathon? Regular attention. You want to play the piano? Regular attention. You want to do gymnastics? Well, I put that in because I do gymnastics with my grandkids sometimes. But you want to do it well? Uh, practice, regular attendance. So you want to be a follower of Jesus? Regular attention. You want to do it well? Regular attention. It's important. Number three. This is like all over in the Bible. There's power in being reminded of what you believe. When we got the call, and we were headed to Florida uh, four months ago, and I was driving to Florida down to be with Aaron and Kaya. For 20 hours, I was trying to remember. I, you've heard me say all I could do was groan. But I was trying to remember what I believe. And in the four months since the accident, little remembrances of what I believed and what I believe have come back to me. Just last week, something that I hadn't thought about for four months came back to me, and I thought, wow, I believe that. I remember that. So, so many of you come in here this morning. It's not necessarily to learn something new. It's like to remember what you already believe. And I want that for my family and my grandkids and for you and your family. What do you believe? And come and be reminded of it. Number four, there's power in being together. Have you ever thought about this? Like, this is why people love to go to ball games. Some of you were probably in a stadium yesterday or Friday night. And like, there's power in being together and cheering on the team, right? Uh, there's power in going to a concert and getting lost in the thing, right? That's what you love to do, stand in the front row, cheer, you know, hear the buildings rocking, all that. There's power in being together. Neil McMahon, a friend of mine in the church, says uh, he goes up to Green Bay a couple times a year. He's a Packer fan to the core. I don't know if you're here, Neil. But he says, it's funny, you put on a cheese head and everyone in the place is your best friend. You did not know them yesterday, but today you're best friends. Why is that? It's because there's power in being together. There's power in being together. Uh, we, we had a couple of assemblies recently at the elementary schools. Uh, first where Charlie and Bailey went to school, Orchard Hill School. And they took a Thursday afternoon and they said, we're going to get everybody together in the gym all the kids, all the staff, uh, this year's principal and last year's principal and the guidance counselor, we're going to all be 500 of us in the gym and we're going to remember together Charlie and Bailey. And so our family was sitting on folding chairs and we watched this. It was quite amazing. They put up a picture of Charlie and they, uh, they gave some quotes about Charlie and read a part of his obituary. And uh, then they had a moment of silence. Then they did the same thing for, Char for Bailey. 
And then they had a moment of silence. And they couldn't, they couldn't in that room, public school, sing holy, holy, holy. So they got as close to it as they could. They sang the secular song, lean on me. Lean on me. When you're not strong, I'll be your friend. I'll help you. Get along. And after the assembly, several staff came up and said, what? We needed to do this together. We needed to. A week later, it's Ben's birthday, and over at Cedar Heights, Orange Day, that was his favorite color. Those of you watched his pants. Uh, <laughs> and at Cedar Heights, they had an Orange Day. And what did they do? They um, made a video of Ben. And then they uh, had the whole audience stand up and sing happy birthday to Mr. Bartlett. And afterwards, the guidance counselor, the principal, and the teacher who took his place all came up to me. And you know what they said? They said the same thing. We needed to do this together. Togetherness has power. So we need to come together as followers of Jesus. And then there's power, number five, in singing a worship song. Oh, my goodness. Singing a worship song. I've mistaught this so many times in my life. I thought if you're not a singer, don't sing. No, there's power. And if you're going to stand by me especially, don't sing. Uh, and Dave, don't sing. Uh, there's power. There's research that there's power. And the Bible's so full of sing songs, sing hymns. Do it your way. You can whisper them. It doesn't matter. Sometimes I tell our worship leaders, I'm worshiping the most when I'm standing there like this because I'm so lost in what you're singing, but it's, it's in my mind. There's power in this thing. There's power in worship songs. Uh, last, week I went to the, uh, last week I went to the cemetery and I stood at the three grave sites and I took my iPad along, I didn't know why. And I stood there and I didn't know, I, I talked to them and I, I do different weird things, walk around, pace around. Uh, I, I pulled up on my iPad the, the funeral and I forwarded to the song, Holy, 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 and at their graveside, I sang it. Holy, Holy, Holy. I was weeping. I was uh, cheering. Uh, but there's power in that. There's power in that. There's power in singing. The Bible's full. In fact, I don't know if you've had this antidote, but there will be in uh, old folks' homes, nursing homes, there will be people who can no longer talk, but they can sing. And it's because it's out of a different side of your brain. The verbal's one side, the singing's the other side, and so they lose one side and then they can sing. What a beautiful thing to go to the grave singing and for your kids to know a lot about that. Now I want to say a couple practical things, then we're going to have a different experience. Uh, one practical thing is this. Um, if you come to worship on Sunday morning and nothing happens in your heart, it's probably not the teacher. It's probably not the band. I'm pretty sure it's not God. So who does that leave? You. This is pretty practical. I, I came this summer. I had the privilege of not teaching, not being up front for 12 weeks. And I sat over there most times when I was here. And one day I was sitting over there in one of those seats, and the teacher taught, and the worship leaders led. And all that happened in my heart was I got mad. This was like sometime late July. I just got mad. I got mad at the teacher. That wasn't a very good teaching. I got mad at the band. You know what? And then it dawned on me. It was all in here. And if you come in here some Sunday and nothing happens in your heart, 
the chances are it's right in here. And so just don't blame people. Just like uh, go home and say, God, help me. Help me. There was something there. Your spirit was there. Help me. Second practical thing I want to just, we have a teaching team of eight teachers. And I know some of you have favorites. (laughs) And I know some of you have least favorites. And that's okay. We don't even mind. We say it's okay. Have a favorite or two. Have a least favorite. It doesn't matter. But here's what's wrong. Don't come in and say this teacher who's teaching from the Word of God has nothing to say to me today. Just stay open to what is being said. One, one day, one of our information people at the desk, this was several years ago when we sold CD teachings, uh, she came, she said, I don't like that teacher. He had nothing to say, whatever. She went out to sell CDs, and there was a whole line of people <laughs> buying CDs. She came to me later and said, Dave, something's wrong with me. <laughs> Let me say a word to parents. I already said this, but I want to say it again. I actually don't know anything you would do as important as get those kids up and bring them to church on Sunday morning. I just don't. As hard as it is, as much as you say, can't we take another week off? Uh, Just do it. It's powerful. Now I want to say one more thing. And that's about holy moments in worship. You know, we come together and there's power in being together. And then all of a sudden, there's this holy moment. And so many people in the room know it just happened. And there's a holy moment. Sometimes it's around communion. And we pick the bread up and we pick the juice up. And like, it's awesome. One day, a woman called me on Monday morning and she said, my husband has not been a follower of Jesus for years and years and years. He just comes to church with me. But he told me, if he ever takes communion... He never took communion. He just passed it down every time. Fine, that's what we recommend. She said yesterday, he took a piece of bread. He took the juice. Dave, what should I do? I said, absolutely nothing. If he wants to talk to you about it, he'll do it. Nothing. But in her mind, after praying for a decade, that was a holy moment. We've baptized adults up here who have gotten on their knees and declared their testimony. We do it at the lake and at the pool. And there's a holy moment that comes. Sometimes we're singing a song and we look around and there's tears in so many eyes. And you go, it's a holy moment. Last week from an email, I got this email from Waverly. Dear beginning church family at Waverly, this lady was at Waverly. My husband and I attended the service at Waverly last week on 10-4, and we were just curious to find out uh, what a service closer to home would be like. We didn't think we could be swayed away from your other service in Cedar Falls, but after this Sunday, we're not so sure. I just want to say I felt the presence of the Holy Spirit so alive in that service in the middle school. God is blessing your efforts. I want to remind you of a holy moment That happened six weeks ago at the gathering. I'm going to show you a picture of it. Here's why. Not because I'm in it. (laughs) Because um, we've had a whole list of people email, call us, and write us and tell us this moment changed their lives. We have two families, two young families, who instead of proceeding with divorce, called a marriage counselor the next week because of this holy moment. 
We have a guy who was ready to sign a contract to take a job that would have him on the road five days a week away from his kids. And the next day he turned it down. Because of this moment, we have families who have reprioritized their families. We've had several musicians step up and say, we'll take Ben's place. We retired, but now we're back. Um, watch this moment. Many of you were there, but I want to remind you of the power of a holy moment. Then I'm going to come and say a couple things, then we're going to have the uh, spoken word.
this would have been Ben's 10th year to lead worship at the gathering. He would have sat right here, had a smile on his face, orange pants, and he would have been worshiping his heart out. We left it empty today for a very, very important reason. Not just to honor Ben, but to remind you and me, Ben's days are done. God has taken him to heaven. Now college students, moms and dads, little kids, Dave Bartlett, God has given us more time. Retired folks, you think you're too old to do anything. You're not. God has given you more days to serve him. Ben and Aaron's mission statement, love and, serve, love and obey God, love and serve each other, love and serve our neighbors. A week or so later, I got a four-page handwritten letter. This is the last paragraph of that four-page handwritten letter. Lastly, I must share the most impactful moment was the empty piano bench on the Gallagher Blue Door stage. It did not go unnoticed by me through the entire service. Ben was missing the whole time. Thanks, Dave, for your reminder that Ben's time serving God on this earth is over and the challenge that we still have time. God has given each of us more time. That was a holy moment. That video has been viewed by well over 6,000 people who are watching it for a reason. They want to be reminded, reminded. What we do on this earth matters. And all that does is remind them I'm going to pray, and then Andrew and the band is going to come, are going to come, and uh, lead us in worship. Let's pray. Dear God, you have promised that where two or three gather in your name, your spirit is there with them. We claim that promise right now. We understand it in our heads. Help us feel it in our hearts. Father, uh, as Andrew comes now, help us see that the focus of true worship is you. The focus of true worship is you, who you are and what you've done. Father, thank you for being with us this morning. Amen. What's beneath the surface do you love to worship? Or do you love the chord progressions? And is it impressive that the worship leaders sing so well?
Do you love the rhythm, the beat, but is Jesus lost in a feeling? This isn't how you worship, but it is when you worship. Because when you love to worship, you may go to work, but you go to worship. You may go to class, but you go to worship. You may go to practice, but you go to worship. You feel the warmth of the sun and worship like, thank you God for your blessings. Worship is not a genre, but a gene, a gene that is present in the DNA of all of the redeemed. We don't worship to be cleaned, we worship because he cleaned us. Consumed with a peace that won't be moved, it completes us. You give life, you are love, you bring died on that tree what was the greatest gift that he gives heaven or escape from hell no we get God more precious than streets of gold more beautiful than angels singing who do you think the angels are singing to and where are those streets leading here's the thing about worship you don't decide that you're going to worship when you see a painting you either see it as boring or beautiful you don't decide to think it's beautiful is Jesus beautiful? Not his rescuing us from hell, but is Jesus beautiful? strugglers is that God is disappointed in us that he is simply tolerating us in Ephesians 1 Paul says no before the foundation of the earth was laid he was going to adopt you and make you holy and blameless in his sight how amazing does that make our God that in our hypocrisy he's long-suffering with us listen Christ knew you were gonna be messy God knew you were going to be messy. God knows that you're going to screw up often. He knows that you're going to be drawn to things that are wicked. That's what the cross is all about. That's the whole point of the cross. He does not regret saving you. He doesn't regret it. 
you do not surprise him. You cannot surprise him. He foresaw your pride and your filth and your shame and said, I want you in my family. I will do anything to get you in my family. I will pay for you to be in my family with my son's life. That's love, folks, and that is beautiful, and it's worthy of more worship than dead lyrics. Let's worship him. <laughs>